A good morning to each of you. Greetings in the name of the one that is alive. Jesus, the head of the church. It's indeed a blessing to be gathered together as God's people and worship him, express our gratitude and an adoration for who he is and what he has done for us. As today is Thanksgiving, what are you thankful for? And to whom are you thankful? As I meditated upon this, my mind went to the church. I'm thankful for the church. For my church. That's Christ's church. But the church I'm a part of. You know, today we have assembled in a building. To many, it's known as a church. And as I think about this building, I, while I haven't seen it, I believe that it's built on a solid foundation. It's been standing here quite a few years. I think there's a few cracks in the wall in the basement. But overall, it's a solid structure. It's stable. It was laid out in a specific way for a specific purpose and constructed of Quality materials, concrete, cinder block, brick, wood, steel, probably even some plastic and fabric. Can we say it has a good structure, both in the design and what it's made of? You know, it has doors and windows to keep out the elements. It has a good roof to protect us from the wind and from the sun, from the rain. It offers a sense of safety. And I'm thankful for this building. But even more, I'm thankful for you. You are the church that I'm thankful for. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or fitting, because it's your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. My mind went to Paul's gratitude that he expressed for the church in many of his writings. Almost each one of the epistles has at some point in it an expression of gratitude for the people he's writing to. I believe that this verse would remind us that the church is where faith is expressed and where love is demonstrated. Are you faithful? Are you thankful for the church? As I've alluded to, there are a number of different elements that make a building, a physical building, good and useful. And I would like to look at several aspects of the church that I'm thankful for and encourage us to deepen our appreciation for the body of Christ. As I meditated on, a, on an outline, a way to bring my thoughts together, I, I came up, four categories came to mind, but many of the scriptures that we'll look at don't fit succinctly into just one. They kind of fit into multiple or many of the categories. The things that I looked at as I, as I thought of this, would be structure, stability, 
support, and safety. These aspects of the church, that the body of Christ that we can experience. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, begin reading in verse 11. You can think of these ideas of structure, of stability, and safety, namely in these verses. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave some prophets, apostles, excuse me, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. These first several verses speak of the workings of the church. God has given different ministries, those with different abilities, those with different places to serve. We have here listed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Different gifts that complement one another to a specific end. And that end here is the maturity of the body, the growth and development, the perfection of each person in the body. Verse 12 speaks of what these these things are for the perfecting of the saints. And I find it interesting that the King James has a comma where no other translation, I believe, does. Between for the perfecting of saints and for the work of the ministry. The New King James reads, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Are not each of you? We all have a part to play in this. None of us is exempt from the work of the church. All are to be involved in the life of the body. And you could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and it speaks of spiritual gifts and there's much there in in looking at how different people contribute to the life of the church. The structure of the church there that that aids in growth and development. Another aspect that that I see here, and that is in verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. The effect of a properly working body is stability. Grounded in our faith, 
we don't have to, to be tossed about with every thought that comes along, every wind of doctrine, but we experience a settled faith in Christ in the body, in the church. And there's also an element of safety, as it says here, that we are not tossed about with these things, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. You know, we, are, we, are, we have enemies, the enemy of our soul, Satan, and those, there are those out there who would deceive us. And the church is an avenue by which we can find stability and safety as we apply the scriptures together, we discuss the scriptures, and what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Truth and love. I had heard a phrase before and it was quoted again just the other day. It said, love without truth will lie, but truth without love will kill. And here, truth must be spoken in love. But we must speak the truth. We must be honest with the truth. We need to recognize and articulate what Christ-likeness really looks like. And we must lovingly encourage each other to that end. We never deny the reality of the goal of spiritual maturity in each one. We want to encourage each other to be Christ-like. Yet neither do we condemn those and degrade those who do not or are not as mature as we are. I understand that in the youth Bible school that happened at Bank the last month, one of the things that was taught was that an apple is an apple from the blossom to the mature fruit. It's an apple the whole way through, but at different degrees of maturity. We encourage each other. We don't degrade those that aren't where we are but in, we lovingly encourage one another. A blessing of the church. As I think of further of the structure of the church and the way the church operates, my mind went to 1 Corinthians 14, 26, where it talks about when the church comes together. And it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. There's a way it works together. And later, the last verse in that chapter says, Let all things be done decently and in order. It's a blessing of the stability and structure of the church. Continue to think about Stability, the stability of, that the church brings into our lives. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Beginning of verse 12. Put on, therefore... As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, 
If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. There are a number of beautiful pictures of a working body in the epistles. This is a beautiful picture of relationships that work together exemplifying the character of Christ. Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, forgiveness, love, gratitude. When these things are there, there's a sense of belonging and a sense of, of unity. But verse 16 also brings another element to that, and that's is it in the second part, it says teaching and admonishing one another. I believe this is a very integral part of the stability of the body as we have that input into each other's lives, teaching and admonishing. My understanding is that the word admonish most places is translated warn. We need to be in a relationship with each other where we're looking out for each other. This isn't just me by myself. It's a body. There's a number of references that speak of submitting to each other. And I'm not going to take the time to read those, but Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 5 speak of submitting to each other. We come together. If each of us as an individual walks our own way, we lose the strength of the body. You could turn to Philippians chapter 2. This also brings this thought forward. A very familiar passage. Philippians 2, beginning of verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Paul's there to say that sounds like a, a body that's working together. There's interaction. There's, there's comfort. There's fellowship. There's sharing together. Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, individualism and that inward focus are contrary to a stable body. First Corinthians 12, I referenced that earlier. I'm going to read a few verses out of the latter part of that chapter. 
verses 24 to 27, thinking of the body working together and the stability it brings. 1 Corinthians 12, 24. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. I'm thankful for the stability of the church that it brings to my life as I work through things in my own experience, as I consider my place in the world and and what it means to be a Christian. I'm thankful for the stability of the body of Christ and of the church. Another aspect is that of support. Firstly, I'd like to look at physical support. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. So there's a picture in the, in the very early church of People that had needs, people that had means. And they brought those means to supply those needs. A working of the body. Support, physical support. There's another passage in 1 Corinthians 16 where Paul talks about when you take up the collection for the saints. And he says, in the first day of the week, get it ready so that when I come, I can take it and take it where it's needed. In Acts 11, there was a prophet that came to Antioch. And in verse 28, it says, And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. The support of the body, a very tremendous blessing. Galatians 6, if you would turn there. Galatians 6, beginning at verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word... Communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that sowed to his flesh, soweth to his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. 
But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now I found it very interesting as I look at this passage, I see two of the main areas that we give in church listed. In verse 6, there's the ministerial aid. And later we see the brotherhood aid. It's right here. Did you know that those offerings are mentioned here in Scripture? It's support for each other. And I am challenged with this passage as it talks of sowing and reaping. And there are a number of other passages of Scripture as well that, that talk about this idea of giving and how it is, it is sowing. It is an investment in the kingdom. In verse 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. In our culture, our Mennonite culture, Anabaptist culture, is one that is known for its worth ethic and I believe it's generosity. We do a lot. We give a lot. I know that if catastrophe strikes my family, that while I have a lot of neighbors that would care and would help, I'm more sure of the help that I would get from my brothers and sisters in Christ. I know that you'll be there for me. Do you realize the blessings of being a member of of the body of Christ. Something that my wife and I have thought about a bit and talked about occasionally. And that's the blessing, could we say the solidarity of the people of God? I can go anywhere in the world and brothers and sisters of my faith and practice will welcome me into their home. They will trust me. They will want to help me and further me in my journey. To help me in time of need. That's strange. In the world's eyes. I have to, I had to think about I've taken part in many communion services, but one that I remember very specifically, and that was a communion service that I took part of in Haiti. That wasn't having to do with support, but it had to do with that, that brotherhood connection when we are one in faith and practice. Support of the church. As I thought about this as well, my mind went to the, the idea that our like faith in practice, practice basically e equals a culture. I mentioned culture earlier. You know, there are many things that we as a church have agreed upon that are a good way of applying the principles of Scripture. Many of these are applications that are not right or wrong in and of themselves. 
Therefore, some would like to see them ignored. And yet, our values are demonstrated by what we do. What we value, we will, we will strive to do and to do things that uphold those values. Our people have traditionally placed a strong emphasis on Jesus' teachings of humility and separation and submission. And you know, one of the practices that we as a church encourage, and that is the plain suit. Can someone live a life pleasing to God without it? Absolutely. Is it a practice that has merit? I would say sure it is. You know, if it is, a, if it is an agreed upon standard for formal attire, it takes away the tendency to imitate the world in its showy ties and tuxedos, etc. And as we agree together to do this, it beautifully joins these attitudes of humility, separation, and submission together in a practical expression of what we value. I heard one brother say he is he's actually from a church that does not really encourage the plain suit. But he wears it and he's continued to wear it. And he says to him, it is a tremendous, um, I don't think of the right word to use, but it is a symbol of solidarity. He said he can go into any Anabaptist church and there's a feeling of, of oneness. And he wants that. And it goes back a bit earlier to what I was saying of our practice. How can we tell that those are of our like faith and mind? And a lot of it comes out in what we, how, we, how we conduct ourselves, what we do. There are many, many lines that we have drawn that are based on the truth of Scripture while not explicitly stated in Scripture. These lines can create a culture that enables us to live out what we value. But if my worth and spiritual vitality lie in doing these things, or if I condemn anyone who doesn't do them, I'm become a legalist. So let's just keep that in the back of our minds. I'm thankful for the church for the blessing of support that we offer each other as we attempt to live lives that are pleasing to God. Several weeks ago, Brother Jeff Messenger preached a, a very good message here on accountability and what some of that looks like, what the purpose is. And one thing that, that stood out to me especially is he was re referring to 1 Corinthians 1.10 where it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. He said this, If we are not in agreement about what a righteous life looks like, then how can I tell you to continue to walk that righteous life? If we don't know, if we don't have an expectation of what a righteous life looks like, how can I help you to walk that righteous life? Another aspect of support, and that is spiritual support. If you're in Galatians chapter 6, let's go back up to verse 1. 
says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. In humility, I need to recognize my own need and propensity to fail. But I also, in my humility, need to help my brothers and sisters to live in victory. Bear ye one another's burdens. Do you appreciate the support, the spiritual support when you're going through a struggle? That your brothers and sisters are there, they care for you. Do you care for them? Do you know what your brothers and sisters are going through? It takes work. But there's a blessing in the support that we can help each other to be faithful. James chapter 5. Just one verse there in, in the context of... Well, maybe I'll go ahead and read verses 13 to 16. James 5 says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I believe here is a key, a tremendous key, to spiritual support that I believe I myself have not taken and applied as I ought many times. We must repent of our sin before God. But this is an avenue that I believe is a powerful tool in helping us to live in victory. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed, spiritually healed. I'm thankful for the spiritual support of my brothers and sisters in the church. Finally, I'd like to look in Hebrews, two passages that I'm going to call the safety of the church. Hebrews chapter 3, to begin with. Verse 12 says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. This passage makes it very clear that we are to watch out for one another. Exhort one another daily, lest 
we be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin looks enticing. We are doubt, we tend to doubt sometimes. We question, is God really there? Why do these things happen? It, it says here that daily exhortation is an antidote to deception. The safety in the body of Christ. What I would say is a parallel passage in Hebrews 10. Those of you that heard this Sunday, bear with me. But this passage has a key as well in our faithfulness. Hebrews 10, beginning verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. The context of these verses is the teaching of the superiority of the blood of Christ as the atonement for our sin. Christ's sacrifice is what we must have to be justified and sanctified. It's the ultimate provision for our sin. But my choices affect its efficacy in my life. Because it says here that if we sin willfully, that that blood is no longer being applied. If we sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. I don't believe that means there's no repentance. I'm sure of that. There's a continual call in the scripture for repentance when one is in sin. But if I continue to turn my back on God, it is a very dangerous place that will ultimately result in damnation. But God's plan is that we interact with each other with a goal of faithful fruitfulness. Notice these verses 24, 25. Take the opportunities to assemble together with the body. Use the time to exhort and to encourage. Share your needs. Share your struggles. Encourage your brothers and sisters. Pray for each other. Because I believe without it, you run a high risk of being deceived and or choosing deliberately to walk away from God. There's a safety in the body of Christ. In conclusion, are you thankful for the church? I know that my church isn't perfect. Our congregation here at Pike, and part of it is because I'm here. But, you know, it consists of people with needs and problems like we all have. But God has designed the church 
to help each of us reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Together. Maturity. Maturity in Christ. I'm thankful for the structure, stability, the support, and the safety of the church. And my challenge to you is to embrace the body of Christ. Commit yourself to build up others and to allow yourself to be built up by others for his glory.